Hey, Drilled listeners, we're getting close to releasing season five, so we'll have that for you in the next couple of weeks. In the meantime, I wanted to let you know about all of the other climate shows that are on the Critical Frequency Network and or are coming soon. Some of these are a special sneak peek. The trailers aren't even out yet, and we're really excited about what we have in store. Take a listen, let us know what you think, and we'll be back to you soon with the next Drilled Season. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors. Which is bad news because according to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. In some cases, it could be a hundred times more polluted. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly seven million premature deaths around the world. I have a strange little problem in my neck of the woods, and that is that everybody likes to burn their garden trash and other trash too. Lots of trash burning going on in my neighborhood. Not great. Air Doctor has really, really helped. I just fire it up on days when I can tell everybody's lighting their trash fires, and it keeps the household air clean. Air Doctor is the air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets like CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code DRILLED to get up to 39% off or up to $300 off, depending on the model. Lock this special offer in by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code DRILLED. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. First up, Generation Green New Deal, which takes you behind the scenes to look at the youth movement pushing for a Green New Deal. Stay tuned all the way to the end for a special little bonus segment from these guys. They got a pretty funny 
interview from the guys who made the Ed Markey video, which you may have seen going viral this past week. If you want more stuff from them, I highly recommend you sign up for their newsletter. We'll drop a link to that here too. Here's a sneak peek at Generation Green New Deal. I'm Sam Eilertson. I'm 30 years old, I'm a documentary filmmaker, and I'm terrified of climate change. And mankind has as little as a dozen years to save life on Earth as we know it. We do not have a choice. We have to get to 100% renewable energy in 10 years. There is no other option. And so are a whole lot of other people of my generation. I would lie there awake for hours and just feel this like rising anxiety in my stomach, in my gut, in my heart. We don't have unlimited time. And I think that's really difficult for people to wrap their heads around. I'm the host of a new podcast from Critical Frequency called Generation Green New Deal. For years, I felt hopeless because no one in power seemed to be talking about this existential issue. It seemed like nobody was taking it seriously. Climate change is not a, you know, a real intense issue for a lot of people. Before November 2018, climate politics seemed dead in the water. The fossil fuel industry kept us locked for three decades in a debate about whether or not global warming was real. So what happened? The world is waking up and change is coming whether you like it or not. You know, I think there's something extraordinary going on globally where young people are finding their fire. It's 2020 now, a presidential election is approaching, and things are very different. Primary voters chose climate change as the top issue for the next president to address. Students and workers all around the world are flooding the streets demanding action on climate change. They call themselves the Sunrise Movement. On Capitol Hill, police arrested 51 youth climate activists Tuesday. Science tells us we have nine years before the damage is irreversible. We're fighting for the future of this planet. If politicians are taking a different approach, it's because they've been pushed to do so. This podcast is about the people who are doing the pushing. We talk about like the scale of the climate crisis and the inaction of establishment politicians. So we got to take over. Go to your politician and demand the world that you want. We're the people who voted you. You're supposed to listen to us. That's your, How old your are job. How old I'm are 16. You I can't. Well, you didn't vote, vote for me. Well, she, I'm she voted. Voted. It doesn't matter. We're the ones getting I've spent the last two years following the youth movement for a Green New Deal. In this podcast, we'll be talking about how scrappy organizations led by teenagers and 20-somethings have embarrassed politicians, knocked powerful incumbents out of Congress, and brought the U.S. closer than ever to actually addressing the issue that will define the future of humanity, climate change. Young people said, I'm not Generation Z, I'm Generation G and D. This is Generation Green New Deal. The very future of human civilization as we know it is on the line. What wouldn't you do to protect that? I'm here before the whole country today, announcing that we're the generation of the Green New Deal. Coming soon from Critical Frequency, wherever you get your podcasts. No Place Like Home from Marianne Hitt and Anna Jean Joyner is a show that gets to the heart of the climate crisis. 
They just wrapped their third season, Bring the Light, which was focused on various lessons that we can take from a wide variety of religious traditions to bring us strength in facing not just the climate crisis, but it turns out the pandemic and all these other crises we're facing too. Highly recommend listening to that season if you need a boost. We're back, and this season of No Place Like Home, we're bringing the light. We're exploring how spirituality, in its many diverse and beautiful forms, is a key ingredient to navigating the climate crisis. This is important from a Muslim perspective. You're valuable because you exist because God created you. You're valued because you have a soul. You have value, and everything in creation is similarly valuable. We'll travel to Puerto Rico and meet a former evangelical pastor who moved home to heal his community after climate disaster. I didn't know how much I loved the land till that moment. When I saw it like bare and in pain, you could almost feel the groaning. And scripture talks about the groaning of the earth as sending a message to the sons of God, like rise up and do something. Caring for creation, healing the earth, protecting the sacred. Whatever the language we use, spirituality has always explored our relationship with the earth and one another. We know social movements throughout history have been rooted in spiritual traditions. What can the climate movement learn from that history? How can we bring our whole hearts to the climate crisis? Faith has helped in other social movements to paint a picture of what we are working towards, not just what we are working against. And man, we need everyone to feel as whole as possible and as powerful as possible and as courageous as possible because we've got a lot of work to do. Because everything we love is at stake. And there's no place like home. Our new season, Bring the Light, is coming to you soon. Next, we have a new season of Drilled coming at you. This season is going to be focused on the long-running case between Chevron and various indigenous groups in Ecuador. The case started in 1993. It's still going on. It's nuts. It goes in like a hundred different directions. And I think you're going to like it. Here's a little snippet of that. This season on Drilled. Then they went after Condé Nast. They come truly to believe that Donziger is a, a criminal. There's a lot in the film that they could have used to go on a more narrow uh, request, uh, but they've not done that. They've simply asked for the entire footage to be turned over to go on a fishing expedition. I think if I had it to do over, I would advise my client to completely protest the trial. And unfortunately, Stephen didn't have that option because Stephen lives in New York and he's subject to the jurisdiction of the court and he has to defend the case. But my clients did have that option and that was not a card we chose to play. In retrospect, that may not have been the best decision. Hindsight is twenty twenty. It was cold. So we would be all bundled up. We would be in this long line to get through security to get into the courthouse. And then you would see a row of five black Suburbans arrive with tinted windows and out of it would come senior management of Chevron, their head of litigation, their entire legal team, and they were ushered in through a separate entrance as VIPs so they didn't have to stand in the line with all the rest of us. 
I am now tired of reading about Stephen and the ankle. Enough with Stephen and the ankle. I want the attention to go back on the Ecuadorians and what they have suffered. The state cannot contract human rights away. Human rights are inalienable. They belong to humans. They belong to the people. Hot Take is a no-bullshit look at the climate conversation, what we're talking and not talking about on climate, and where we might do better. It's hosted by myself and Mary Anais Hegler, and we have guests pretty frequently. This season so far, we've had on Kendra Pierre-Louis, Kate Aronoff, Brian Kahn, Epicurious editor David Tamarkin. Coming up soon, we'll have Indigenous rights reporter Rebecca Nagel. And lots more planned for the rest of the season, too. Here's a little taste of it if you haven't given it a listen yet. It often just feels like media as an institution has a very thin yes, skin. Yes, very. And so the mm-hmm. difference in those two scenarios is you're you're harming an individual, and I'm not minimizing mm-hmm. that, but pointing out flaws with an institution means that the institution... Has to reckon with it. Has to reckon yeah. with it, right? Like, it's much yeah. easier to be like, oh, you did a bad thing to a person who worked for this institution, we'll let you go even. Although they don't always do that. Yeah, like we have HR policies that deal with that. That's true. But there aren't really great policies to point out the fact that your institution is problematic. That's a really good point. People don't make those connections. They don't make the connection between racism and climate because the story is by and large not getting told um, because of who's in the room and who knows to ask what question. Uh, It's not always just who's in the room. It's who will let you do that story. Right. In some newsrooms, and and this is shifting, I think, climate itself is seen as an activist issue. And so when you add climate and you add race, you're talking about two activist issues. And that's too, too many. I've been thinking about this recently because I just read this book called The Jemima Code, which is all about black cookbooks. And there is a serious erasure of people in the 70s, you know, black people writing cookbooks that are writing about the health trends that we are only getting around to now that they were first. I mean, I mean, there's a deep history of black veganism. There's a deep history of black vegetarianism that we just completely erased. So I thought I'd just do like a quick lightning round on things you may not know about Bernie Sanders. Wow. And we'll see how you do. I probably okay. won't know a lot of them, but that's great content. <laughs> okay. All right. One, why does Bernie Sanders hate icebergs? Uh, <laughs> um, I can only assume he is a fan of the movie Titanic. Mm, no, it's because only the top 1% can stay above water. <laughs> Um, A deep cut. A deep cut of a fact.
Next, we have another youth climate podcast. This one comes at you with stories and feeling and is really centered on the collective community feel of the youth climate movement, which personally is the thing that gives me the most kind of hope when I talk to those guys. It's not just the fact that they're working so hard on climate, nor am I one of those people that thinks the youth will save us. It's just that their worldview is truly collaborative in a way that I find really inspiring. Here is a little preview of that show. It's called Inherited, and it's produced by Georgia Wright and Juliana Bradley. Whether we like it or not, we are each born into a flawed world. A warming world. And as we get older, we begin to understand exactly what we've inherited. Greed. I think that's our biggest enemy. Like a general darkness almost around our generation. Water. There was water everywhere. And then, as a generation, we face a choice. Either accept this hand we've been dealt, or rise up to change it. Young people, I think, throughout history have seized the moment, mass group of people together, you know, nonviolent direct action. Around the world, young people are growing up in the shadow of the climate crisis. But instead of resigning themselves to a doomed planet, they've made the choice to fight back. It just ticked me off how much we knew. It's the people who are making billions of dollars off of fossil fuels and are making us feel like we're responsible. Their greatest threat to profit right now are the climate strikers. Nobody needs a billion dollars. Nobody needs even close to that. They're learning from all those who have come before, those who have fought for the right to vote, to love, to be equal, to live. I think that we're doing what people have done in the past. We're saying we see something wrong and we're going to fix it. If a handful of people can affect so many lives, and like, what could thousands or millions of people fighting for justice do? The youth climate movement has revolutionized the way we see our future. Their faces, their voices, and their actions have awakened the world to the injustice and enormity of the climate crisis. I was one of the 51 people arrested for sitting in Nancy Pelosi's office. I was just sitting in that hallway thinking about all the people in this country who've come before us, who have been fighting for these same causes. It finally felt like a turning point for the climate movement where you could finally see some hope that we could have a future that's livable for us and like this is what it's going to take. And what it takes is growing the movement. We were all organizing on Tinder last <laughs> yeah. night. So basically what you do is you go through and just like swipe right on everybody, um, and then you just send them a little message saying, what time are you gonna go to the polls? And you're um, like, do you wanna meet up after that? <laughs> <laughs> These young people come from everywhere, many from places and communities that have been directly impacted by climate change. The other big thing we heard was fire. There were fires in the Rockaways, and that was the scariest thing, because they didn't say where. And there are as many different climate stories to tell as there are people on this earth. I am in the same room with 50 activists. And somebody asks, who here has been called the Greta Thunberg of their country? Every single hand on that room went up. 
And this girl from Sweden said, I've been called the Greta Thunberg of Sweden. And Greta is Swedish. She's the most sweet, humble girl in the world, right? It's not like she's even asking for this attention. We don't all have to be Greta Thunberg. We're not all Greta Thunberg. I got tired of that single story of what a climate activist should be. We all have our own stories. We all have our own experiences. And that's why we're here, to bring you those stories. Young people have decided to spend their childhoods, their lives, transforming the world they've been given. Someone's got to do it. I'm 27. I'm 21 years old. Now that I'm 18, I can vote. I could start changing the narrative at 15. I'm also 13 years old, so we'll see how things play out. We don't choose the world we inherit. But we choose what to do with it. I'm Georgia Wright. And I'm Juliana Bradley. And this is Inherited. We will rise, yes, we will rise. Yeah, let's do it. And finally, in October, we'll be bringing you Hazard, which is a slightly different twist. It's an environmental health show. It takes the true crime format and applies it to chemicals, asking the question in each season, why are chemicals assumed innocent until proven deadly? I think we've all been lied to by this big manufacturer. This is irreversible, and something's got to be done. Hey, it's Amy Roost. My new show, Hazard, is an investigative true crime podcast that asks the question, why are chemicals innocent until proven deadly? Season one of Hazard will focus on one specific pesticide, chlorpyrifos, an organophosphate pesticide used by farmers on more than 60 crops, including grapes, strawberries, cotton, almonds, and oranges. In fact, they were created during World War II as a nerve toxin. The reason I chose to focus on chlorpyrifos this first season of Hazard is because I myself had an acute exposure to it in 1989. What I didn't know at the time is that I was pregnant. Children are more vulnerable to environmental exposures than adults. So in utero and in early life, especially during those periods, your neurological systems are developing, your brain is developing, and chemical exposures that can affect that development can kind of knock it out of track. Hazard tells the story of my journey to discover how my children ended up with neurological and anatomical birth defects. Researchers started seeing an unusual condition in babies or children and started to do some retrospective investigation of something that these cases had in common. Tragically, it is a story that I share with many mothers. In the process of searching for answers to my own children's health problems, I began to ask the question, what took the Environmental Protection Agency so long 
to ban chlorpyrifos. Uh, ever since Silent Spring and we got our first environmental standards and we had the banning of DDT and some of the other persistent uh, pesticides, the chemical industry made it its job to walk the halls of EPA. Um, and EPA, when it comes to pesticides, is thinking very hard about not being sued by the chemical industry. I traveled to communities where chlorpyrifos is still being used 20 years after its indoor use was banned. It's not something that you know wasn't an issue 10 years ago. Unfortunately, it's happening as we speak. Just a couple of days ago, we received a phone call from uh, farm workers here in the community of Bakersfield that were uh, sprayed with pesticides. And it's hard because they, they might know that it's dangerous, but unfortunately, sometimes the need to work is so great. You know, they just feel that they have no choice. Hazard looks at the health effects of chlorpyrifos use in these communities. When we narrowed in and focused on chlorpyrifos specifically, and we found that if the application occurred during the second trimester, those births were threefold more likely to have developed autism. We'll look at the politics behind the chemical's long shelf life. Towards the end of the Obama administration, there was enough evidence to support the ban of this pesticide for agricultural purposes. The only thing that was needed was the signature of the EPA director. But that's when the change of administration happened. So we had Dow Chemical, which is the primary maker of chlorpyrifos, contribute a million dollars to the Trump inauguration fund. We had one of the anti-regulatory executive orders was signed early in 2017, and the president gave Andrew Laveris, the CEO of Dow, his signing pen. Finally, we'll look at what the future holds in store for chlorpyrifos and for pesticides in general. Subscribe to Hazard wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to check all of those out wherever you get your podcasts. And now that special bonus segment from Generation Green New Deal. This is Sunrise Movement's Alex O'Keefe giving us the backstory on that Ed Markey viral ad. If you haven't heard that ad, here's a little snippet from it. But go Google Ed Markey Green New Deal maker. It's worth it. There's an invisible contract we all signed at birth. A promise. Every hour we work means longer days of freedom and security. It paved the road in your neighborhoods and it added up to a country. But when crisis hit, Trump's government abandoned America. We asked what we could do for our country. They looked for what they could take. But there's a truth. And I want to make an ad that like a, you know, just a mass hole would be like, fuck yeah, <laughs> that shit's hype, bro. <laughs> and like... You know, politics is always, it's always dealing with these really high polluted morality. And I think it's, you know, most people don't think in those terms. Most people don't think so abstractly. They like the fucking departed. <laughs> they like fucking Leonardo. They, they, they argue whether, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio or Martin Sheen were better in the movie. Uh, that's what most people in Massachusetts want to actually talk about. Um, so... Yeah, just to base it in that energy. But it wasn't until the night before the ad, actually, that me and Sam, we called up Jeremy Ornstein, who also does some story work for Sunrise. 
Jeremy, always hype, always very excited, always full of optimism and energy. Uh, because it's funny, before every single big thing that me and Sam do, we convince ourselves, like, this is going to suck. <laughs> like, we, we fucked up. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. We are one-hit wonders. It's, it's, a, it's a good energy, I think, to start with creativity because it really makes you want to top yourself. And it, it just means you have a high expectations, which is not bad. But, um, yeah, we were really beating ourselves up. And my script at that point was just wordy and terrible, just didn't sound human, just sound political. Um, so Jeremy was doing push-ups, and we watched The Departed a couple times. And then we just did a sentence stem structure where, you know, I would start off like, there's an invisible contract we all signed at birth. And then Sam would have to make up the next line. We just tried to make it very much like a furious improvisation. Once we turned on um, Gimme Shelter, that's when I just like got into the marquee dealmaker mode and I just like ad-libbed the rest of the ad. I was like, I talked to the Democrats and the Republicans. I said, we gotta save the fishermen. A month later, we had a hundred million dollars for our fishing industry. <laughs> and, and like, we just narrated it like it was like a, like a, like a, tra a movie trailer. And it's like, and then you see a boat and the drone shots going up from the boat. Like it's a getaway car, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, we just tried to top ourselves and just try to make something that made our, us laugh and feel hopeful and cheerful and energized. And most political messaging is not based on expressionism. It's based on data. It's based on a cynical computation of human emotions um, rather than actually communicate, actual communication, actual joking and laughter and the interactions that we hold dear in our social lives. Okay, that is it for this time. You can go check out all of those shows wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the first episodes or new episodes coming your way. Thanks as always for listening and we'll see you soon.